BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about talk now. About now talk about. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 386. Welcome. I am Jen Kirkman. I am your host. If you're not familiar with me, how the fuck did you find out about this? Thank you, though. I'm glad you did. I am a comedian. I have two specials on Netflix that you can watch anytime. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine, as well as just keep living. And I have two books that I wrote. One is about not wanting kids. It's called I Can Barely Take Care of Myself. And the other is a memoir about life after 40 called I know what I'm doing and other lies I tell myself. I bring that up, not not just to plug it, but to tell you this is a podcast. So it's not a book that's been combed over by an editor and had, you know, spelling corrections and all kinds of stuff. And it's not a stand-up special where there's, you know, punchlines that I know that I'm going to say that are coming at you. No, no, no. This is just off the top of my head. I mean, it's certainly planned. I know the topics that I'm going to talk about this week, but how I say them and what emotions I go through. Oh, I don't know. This is just like real life, a real conversation from me to you where you say nothing. So it's a great podcast to listen to if you just need a voice to get you through whatever you're doing, walking your dog, walking yourself, doing your laundry, doing your dishes, driving to work, driving home from work, at work, sleeping, waking up in the shower. I don't know, whatever you do. I'm honored that you are taking me with you. There's also a Patreon version of this podcast. Guess what? For the audio version, we are on minute, one minute and 39 seconds. That's how long this podcast is so far for the Patreon viewers. They get the video version, so they get to see me right now with my weird hairstyle for the day and my no fun podcast studio at home. And they are on minute 31 minutes and 38 seconds. I have already talked to them to camera. For a half hour, we talked about, oh, some secret show announcement of uh, some live shows I'll be doing in New York City. What? You're not going to hear about it till September. That's not when the shows are, but you won't hear about these shows until September. But my Patreon people know about it now. I also told them about, you know, other things I'm doing post-vaccine next week and all kinds of fun stuff. So 
Join in and you can get some of the bonus content. It's only five bucks a month. You get four video versions a month. That's once a week. They're always a little bit longer. Can't always promise that, but they sometimes are. And you get the episode early. So you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, May 7th, uh, May 5th, I'm sorry. And the Patreon subscribers had this already on Friday, April 30th. So there you go. That's what you get for five bucks. Plus you get some bonus episodes, audio episodes at that price range as well. So I'm just saying patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. If you want to support me, if you want to support a comedian who didn't tour all last year because she respected you people and herself and COVID and didn't want people getting sick gathering in her name and still isn't doing it because not everyone's vaccinated. So there you go. This is literally, literally my job. So don't just think I'm doing it for my health because I like to be on camera. Uh, no, it's my job. So support, support the comedians you like. I don't even care if you don't like me. You can hate support me. The, <laughs> the money still transfers. Okay, what are we going to talk about this week? Oh, so many topics on No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. We're going to, this episode is called Nosy because I like to hear salacious things about people's lives. So this week we're going to talk about people's COVID confessions of traveling during COVID. Um, the next mental health issue that the New York Times says that we're all experiencing is called languishing. And I used to think that word was a positive word. I learned something new. Um, weight issues, people who feel they can't talk about their weight issues in public without getting scolded. A woman who dumped her boyfriend, changed her life and found happiness. A man who may be stringing his ex-lover on but doesn't really care. That is all happening on this week's No Fun the Jen Kirkman podcast. Now, one more thing just to let you know if you are new and you want to listen to all 385 episodes that you've missed, go to jenkirkman.com and click podcast. And there will take you to uh, links to listen to episodes from this past year. But then there's uh, also the archive where you can listen to this show going all the way back to when it started, which was around this time. 2013. So eight years of this podcast. Oh my God. It's fun to go back in time. I'm I'm sure you could cancel me for some of the things I said. Who knows what kind of language I was using back then or who knows. Not that I was a different person, but you know, times change. We change with the times. Who knows what I hadn't learned yet, what, what perspective I was coming from that has improved uh, but you can go to jenkirkman.com, click podcast. The podcast used to be called I Seem Fun. So when you click back, that's that's the episodes you'll be hearing. So I hope you go back and enjoy the archives and, you know, maybe start from day one and take the whole journey with me. Take the whole journey with me from different jobs to different boyfriends to different locations to different feelings to all kinds of things. You know, like that thing called life. Excuse my coffee drinking on air. I know that is an eek-erk sound. People don't like it. I tried to move away from the mic. I didn't do it fast enough. <sighs> okay, let's start. So I got this listener email from someone. It's very juicy. So I thought, why not just start right away with that? Because I don't know if anything in my life is as juicy right now. So, You know, if you write me about how you're stringing someone along, I might I might put it at the top of my podcast. 
Jen, I hope you had a wonderful time seeing your family. I still haven't caught up on the videos on Patreon. Oh, thank you for being a Patreon subscriber. Over the years, you've been a source of knowledge for me, even as a gay man. I can sometimes say or do things that might make women uncomfortable. Thanks to you and a few other people I listen to, I think before I speak and or invade someone's personal space. No joke, you have played a huge role in me becoming a better person. You know, straight women go through this too. You know, straight women have a terrible history of invading the personal space of gay men. You know, at first we went to gay nightclubs because... Y'all made us feel safe because you weren't trying to have sex with us. And so it was a great place to just go and blend in and just be able to dance without anyone, you know, trying to stick their finger up our crotch. And then it turned into objectifying gay men. And I I didn't do this, but I'm just saying I didn't do it. I'm perfect. But, you know, some women, they go to the clubs and they just start grabbing guys. And it's like, that's not here for you, honey. It's not cute to them. Maybe it is to some. Um, Everyone's different, I guess. But you don't just assume You know, but I have a thing that I do, which actually I don't think is more detrimental to gay men, but detrimental to me is sometimes I'll just assume someone's gay for whatever reason and not for offensive reasons, but just, I don't know. They might say something like my partner and I don't think they're talking about their law firm and I just, I, whatever, you know, you just, you get the wrong, uh, information from either something they said or sure, fine, a vibe. And if I think someone's gay, I am I have no, not no boundaries, but I'm very friendly. I'm like, oh my God, nice to meet you. Here's my address. This is where I lived. Let me tell you about my life. Oh my God. And then if it ends up being a straight guy, they think you're interested in them. And I'm like, I just thought you were gay and I was comfortable. The comfortability is mistaken for me wanting to have sex with you. And then it gets awkward from there. So um, this is why I ask every man who is uh, not interested in women to please announce it as you talk to every new woman. And then that way we can just say, please, I want you to know I am not interested in sex with women. So please be comfortable around me. But also it doesn't mean you can grab my abs. And then, you know, I'm sorry to make you do all that emotional labor, but. Okay, that being said, uh, from this listener who said, I played a huge role in making him a better person. That being said, I think I may still be a horrible person and need your advice. Here's the story. Settle in, everybody. In early 2019, I met this guy online and we ended up going on a date. We'll call him Roberto. Physically, he wasn't someone that would normally catch my eye only because he's very short. God, I love short guys. This is Jen talking. Uh, The conversation was great and he seemed very sweet. So I became more interested in getting to know him without letting physical traits get in the way. The height difference was only about five inches, so he wasn't that much shorter, but I've always preferred tall people. The two weeks after our first date, we had a big snowstorm in Seattle, which put a stop to any immediate meetups from happening. By the way, I think I did a show in Seattle, and I did on Valentine's Day 2019, uh, just a few days after that big snowstorm. So, so there. (laughs) Great story, Jen. I don't know if you were at my show, but if you weren't, Shame, shame. Um, So, two weeks after our first date, we had a big snowstorm, which put a stop to any immediate meetups from happening. On top of that, like some kind of rich bitch, I ran off to Hong Kong for about two weeks for a trip I had planned way in advance. Okay, so I guess he wasn't at my show. 
The whole time I was in Hong Kong, he blew up my phone, that's Roberto, with questions about who I was hanging out with and what my plans were each day. It was a little annoying, but I just let it slide. Immediately upon returning from home, we met back up for another date. It went really well, and for the next two months, we spent almost every day together. I typically can't handle someone in my personal space every day, but he would come over for about an hour or two after work and then go home. I was enjoying our time together, but I definitely wasn't feeling any sparks of love. I figured that would come much later. One day, he came over after work, spent some time with me as he usually did, and then went home. After that, I didn't hear a single word from him for about six months. About two weeks after last seeing him, I texted to ask if he was okay, but I didn't receive a response. Six months later, though, I get a long text from him saying that he was very sorry for ghosting me and that he was going through a divorce that was getting very nasty and he didn't want me to have to be part of it. I thanked him for his apology and let him know that he needed to be upfront about what was going on instead of just cutting off all communication. He agreed and said, I'll never bother you again. Fast forward to present day, quarantine 2021. By the way, I already have opinions on Roberto and his behavior and his coping skills. So already I'm going to tell the the person who wrote in, you're not a horrible person. Fast forward to present day, quarantine 2021. Roberto finds me on the same app we met on in 2019. Initially, I was going to just block him, but I figured I'd see what might transpire if I responded to his message. Oh, so he reached out to you. Okay. He apologized again and asked if I would be interested in meeting up for lunch or dinner. Without even thinking, I said yes, when I actually meant no. He got really excited and kept going on and on about how much he missed me. I told him to not get his hopes up too high because I am currently enjoying single life and not interested in seriously dating anyone. Besides, there's a pandemic. And I'm about a week away from being fully vaccinated. We exchange messages every now and then as he anxiously anticipates me getting my second shot. The text messages alone are enough to piss me off and send me running in the other direction. Here's a little example. Roberto. Hey there. Me. Hi. How are you? Roberto. Good. Me. After about 15 minutes of waiting for him to ask how I'm doing. I'm doing good too. Then radio silence. He also texted me the other day to ask if I missed him. I don't miss him one bit, but I felt like I should be nice, and I stupidly said yes. Then he wanted to know what I missed about him. The only thing I could think to say was, I miss all the fun times we had together. He said he missed being in my arms and feeling loved. I don't remember much cuddling because it's just not my thing, and I sure as shit wasn't throwing any love vibes his way. I was just enjoying our time together. Now, instead of telling him I have absolutely no interest in him, I actively wait for him to message me. It's so stupid. Every time I think, okay, this is the right time to let him down, I stop myself because I think I enjoy being chased. This is where I think I may be a horrible person, letting him lust for something he can never have again. I've tried putting myself in his shoes. I've definitely ghosted a guy or two or three or maybe four. It's not something I'm proud of at all, but... It's also sometimes the easiest way for me to get away from someone who is being too pushy about getting me to say yes to things that I don't want in my life. However, I would never go back to someone that I ghosted and ask for another chance. I consider that bridge to be totally burnt to a crisp. Dating has been tough, and I can't seem to find anyone lately who wants to start out slow and just get to know each other. I don't know what energy I'm putting out in the world to attract all these guys who want an instant relationship. I even had a guy who wanted to move in with me after our second date. 
So my options are to give Roberto the boot and tell him I'm just not interested or keep stringing him along. I don't even want to develop a friendship with him. I keep waiting for him to get all mushy and romantic again. For some reason, that seems like the best time to say no thank you. Does it make me a horrible person, though, to have a little fun with this? Jen, you're amazing. As always, still loving the podcast and being a Patreon subscriber has been a huge light in this dark, disease-riddled world we're living in virtual hugs. Josh, Josh, I have much to say. First of all, you have answered all of your own questions in this email, so I'm just going to reflect back to you who you want to be. Now, first of all, you said, let me just, let's work backwards. You said, I don't know what I'm putting out in the universe to attract guys that, you know, want an instant relationship. Now, I'm I'm a big believer in if you're putting negativity out there, like if you're just like, this is going to work, that's going to work, that's not going to work, and being negative at work all day and just sitting there, nothing ever works out for me. You know, or you're, you're driving and you're just thinking, I'm totally going to get in a car accident. I think your thoughts can inform your mood, which then can inform your performance. You know, if you have a big thing coming up, I don't know, you're in some kind of competition where you throw a stick and you're saying, I, I don't know what that is. Is that a javelin? Who's in a, no one in a javelin competition is listening to this podcast. They have, they are busy practicing throwing the javelin, but I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be the secret. I'm, it's more like, obviously, if you are about to do something and you just only keep thinking negative things, you could at the very least psych yourself out at the most weird vibrational level. It could change your brain chemistry, affect who you are, become a habit, and then when you fuck up, you don't even realize it was because of what you were thinking and you think it's who you're destined to be, blah, blah, blah. But I don't believe that anyone is putting out a certain energy into the universe that makes certain people on a dating app come through for them. I mean, you just can't live that way. So I would say this. Don't worry about what energy you're putting out and just accept that lots of people have different love attachment styles. And you can read books on this. You can even just Google it and read it for free. But there's secure attachment style and anxious attachment style. And a lot of people with anxious attachment style come at you hard. They want an instant relationship. It is not a secure attachment style. Getting involved with a securely attached person may even feel boring to you at first. So in other words, there's just those two kind of people in the world and odds are half of the people that you encounter on dating apps and some days it may feel like 100% of the people will be people who want an insta relationship and who don't have any idea how to go slow and get to know each other. You're either going to have to talk to one of them who's open to, uh, not that you're going to teach them how, but who just actually can sit still enough and listen when someone says, I want a relationship as much as you do, but I actually want one that works and that will last. So for me, it has to start slow. If they if they actually are willing, you might you might fuck with that, as the kids say. If you're not a kid, that means you might pursue that. But if you want to, in quotes, blame yourself and think it's some energy you're putting out there, I will tell you this. You are spending your time doing this back and forth with Roberto and that's blatantly if you're going to look at what energy you're putting out there that's what you're putting out there so yeah that's what you're getting in terms of other people uh have you really looked at the people that you've rejected because you got no sense of spark or fun from them I mean I assume that when we all you know want to get to know someone slowly that we assume it's going to be fun and sparky 
even though we might not want to move in with them tomorrow. So have you kind of written anyone off that that you're not getting the spark from uh, because you think they're boring when actually that could be a good person for you to get to know slowly and then the spark is created later. So just putting that out there if you insist that this is something that you're doing. Now, the thing is, you're not, you're not asking the right question. You're not a horrible person, but you are projecting a lot onto Roberto. You're saying that Roberto, in your opinion, he, he is lusting for something he can never have again. You have no idea what he's doing. He could be doing this to hundreds of different guys, 10 different guys, five different guys. He could be messaging a million people at once. When he's not getting back to you, he could be getting some on the side. He sounds like someone who enjoys this, just the texting and the craziness and the back and forth. That, it sounds like that's all he can handle. And so in terms of him not telling you when you were first dating that he was going through a divorce, I mean, he probably got the excitement he needed and then the divorce started to get messy. And I don't really think it's that he didn't want to bring you into it because I've been divorced and I know what I did after my divorce. And yeah, there were some people that I, I used that excuse on. I just don't want to get you involved in it. But if I really like someone, then I figure out a way to not get them involved with it and date them and, and not let them go because divorcing is really traumatic and really hard. And if you think you found someone that you really like can love, um, you make sure that divorce doesn't get in the way. So I think you're projecting onto Roberto that he's all lusting for you and wants all this. And I think you're not realizing he's just doing the same thing you are. And he may not have even been trustworthy from the beginning in terms of, you know, sometimes people get off on just saying really intimate things like I loved being in your arms. And that's he loves saying that it doesn't necessarily mean it was true. It doesn't even necessarily mean he only feels that way about you, you know, so just be careful what we project on other people and then in turn use that to call ourselves a horrible person because in the same vein of, of being in an instant relationship with someone, the people who do that are projecting onto you that you're perfect and you're the greatest person to be in an instant relationship with. And it's really not fair to anybody, even if it's in a complimentary way when we don't see them as a real person that that, you know, takes time to get to know real people. So you're kind of doing the same thing, though, where you're projecting on him. Now, you could say, no, 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 Jen, I didn't tell you every detail. He said all this and that to me. I get it. Maybe he said a lot more things that make you think this about him. But I'm going to look at the biggest behavior of all, which is he ghosted you and then came back with an excuse about his divorce. You know, I don't think he's this totally normal person either or not horrible as you put it but the question isn't and and I like that you you know admitted at the end like you do get something out of it you like the feeling of being chased so I would say um just you know in terms of uh look this person knows where you live you've been involved with them before maybe maybe it feels safe or something to do this with him um but I think you're going to have to, if you really want what you say you want, which is a relationship where you get to know someone slowly, then you're just going to have to stop doing this because you're just going to keep getting used to this. And what you really want will seem harder and harder to attain. So you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is. You kind of have to just make the change and just block and ghost or however you do it. But just cut them out and you're not horrible. You didn't do anything wrong. You're just not really doing what you say you want. So I think you need to look at 
If you like the feeling of being chased, that's okay. But can you do it with someone new? You know, and if you like the feeling of being chased, well, that kind of is the opposite of the other thing you said you wanted, which is to get to know someone slowly before a relationship. Maybe there's a happy medium. Maybe you're getting, maybe you find someone to get to know slowly, but you really feel pursued by them in a healthy way where you really feel like they're interested in you. They're making plans with you. They're following up. They're wanting to get to know you. They're making it known they're interested you know, it sounds a little boring, I'm sure, but it, it is the best of both possible worlds. And so I think you got all the answers. It's just like for some reason you're getting in your own way. So there you go. And no, you are not horrible. You are human. God, I'm good. God, I'm smart. Okay, so confession. This is an all-listener email episode today. Now, I don't know why I have this paranoia that you guys don't like listener emails. I don't know whether when I say that, if you anticipate that I'm going to do a lot of reading and it's going to be in this monotonous tone, or maybe you're a purist who just wants to hear the podcaster talk about their life. But I promise you, each email I'm reading will lead to me either giving advice or telling stories about my life or answering questions, it won't be monotonous. And I'm not just reading like, Jen, I'm your biggest fan. Oh my God, let's read another, you know. Um, but I just had all these emails to get through and I want to get them all off my plate. I want you all to be heard. I think it's fun when you guys hear each other and you know that you're not the only one listening. So that's what we have going on today. And my next email that I'm reading We'll be right after this break. We're going to talk about a woman who left her boyfriend, left her job, was living in just this sort of like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And now she ended up super happy. And we can all learn from her. And I have some thoughts on that. Now, uh, check out check out the words from my sponsor. It's really quick. Don't fast forward. And by the way, if you don't want ads, the Patreon version, no ads. So when we come back, a woman whose love life changed. Okay, we're back. So here is an email. Jen, you can say my name. This is Steph. Thank you, Steph. Steph, fellow Massachusetts girl here. And I've been meaning to write this message since 2014, but I just never did. Well, thank God the podcast is still around. If any of you want to send emails that you've been waiting to send for the past seven years, it's iseemfun at gmail.com. Email me. I will read your email on air. Do not send me anything that you don't want me to read on air because that when I get an email in that box, I assume it's to be read on air. If you don't want me to say your name, please state it within the first sentence. And if you do not mind me saying your name, you can say that as well. And if you don't say it, I usually assume you don't want it said, so I don't say it. I've been listening since day one and way back. You helped me through a really tough situation. Oh, I can't wait to hear. In December 2013, my God, again, as I've said, this podcast has been going on for eight years. I was working at ESPN, my dream job, living in Connecticut, and randomly got a job offer in Chicago, a city my boyfriend at the time, who I thought I was going to marry, uh, we discussed living in Chicago before. I was amped. I'll take this job and he'll totally follow me and we can start our lives together, I thought. The offer for the job came out of nowhere, so I felt it was the universe telling me to move. After my boyfriend encouraging me, I accepted the job offer and went to Chicago with my mom to look for an apartment. But when I got there, it just didn't feel right. I had been to Chicago several times before and loved it, but this time something was just off. While I was there, I was listening to your podcast, and you said something along the lines of, 
If you don't really want to do something, just don't do it. It was so simple, but it really hit home. I just couldn't do it. I felt the universe was telling me to move, not me wanting. I felt the universe was telling me to move, but not me wanting to move. I didn't seek this out. So I called my boyfriend crying and I told him I just couldn't move to Chicago all by myself. And to my surprise, he wasn't super thrilled that I would be staying with him in Connecticut. It immediately made it even worse for me that he essentially had no reaction. I then had to consider actually moving to Chicago because he clearly didn't want me. And why would I go back to that? But I did end up going back to Connecticut and we continued dating for a miserable third year before breaking up a day after our anniversary, thankfully. So the end of the story is that you didn't save me from that shitty relationship, but you did convince me to stay in Connecticut where I thrived in my career and met my eventual husband who I now live with in Las Vegas with our cat, dog, and no kids by choice. Love the podcast. I have both your books. I watch both Netflix specials twice. If I I bleep out, Netflix, she spelled it N-star-T-F-L-I-X, because fuck them for not giving you a third special. Yeah, well, if I had to ask a question on the podcast, it would be, what is your current pet peeve? Mine is people wearing their COVID masks with the blue side in. I swear, if people knew the blue side, water resistant, and the white side, water absorbent, mattered, this all might have been over a year ago. I'm not even fucking kidding. Okay, sorry, this is so long, Steph. I don't I don't know what my current pet peeve is. I, I I have some first of all, I love that advice. I love that your life turned out great because it's something I said in 2013. What's interesting is I might have been saying great advice on this podcast in 2013, but my life went into a shit storm in 2014 and 15 and 16. So I'm glad it worked out for everybody else. But my life, I guess I didn't listen to my own advice. I uh fucked everything up. Relationships, jobs, the the whole thing. But I also had some really good times too. So, you know, live and learn. I guess do as I say, not as I do, right? Um, Well, you know what I like about this email is this notion that because something appears that it's, here we go again with the universe, right? That it's the universe telling us to do it. And it's really hard when we digest these sound bites that we hear from everywhere. Oh, the universe just directed me here. It's like, okay, sure. But sometimes you're directed to places you're not supposed to be so that you can actually feel it so that you can know in your gut that it's not right for you. But then once you actually go and do the thing that you think the universe is pushing you to do, it's it's hard to really listen to your own instinct after you're there and say, I don't actually want to do this because you think the universe sent you there, dot, 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 because that's where you're supposed to be. But I guess if people are going to have this thought that there's some universe pushing them to something, don't forget the other option, which is it could be to show you what you actually don't want. And ultimately, you do have free will. I mean, the universe, look, you don't have free will about gravity. You can't just fly around. So the universe is always pressing on us. So great. Sometimes we don't have a choice, but in general, jobs, relationships, we have a choice. Don't ever worry that you're going against the universe's rules for you because if you believe in that, then I guess in in a sense, don't you have to believe that it will guide you back to where you need to be? So anyway, I, 
I think that what you knew in your heart, right, when you um, realized that you called your boyfriend and said, actually, I'm not leaving our home in Connecticut after all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm not, I'm not going to take the job in Chicago. And you realize that he was like, oh, no. You know, maybe he'd been thinking of breaking up for a while. Maybe he wasn't that into it. Maybe he didn't know he wasn't that into it until he heard that you were coming back. I don't know. But it seems like you knew in that moment that this is not good. <laughs> and there was really nothing you can do in that moment, right? You know, sometimes life is the, the gray option. I mean, some people would go, well, fuck him. Then I'm staying in Chicago. And it's like, I think what you did was really smart is you already knew you didn't want to live in Chicago, so you left. So you go back to this relationship where someone didn't seem that hot on you coming back. Now, if you guys were meant to be together, I think you could have worked through that. You know, people have doubts sometimes, and then they work through it. But it was another, as you said, miserable year. So there you go. You kind of had to go do it to know. And now you know both things. This isn't your guy, and Chicago's not your city. So you you chose the third option, right? And I think life is always about What's behind door number three or four or five or six? We often, sometimes there are just two choices. I get it. But we often, when there aren't just two choices, we give ourselves just two choices. It's like our automatic black and white thinking. And we say, I stay in this relationship and I marry this guy in Connecticut or I move to Chicago and do this job. And it's like the third option is you move back to Connecticut with this guy and the relationship doesn't work out. No one ever thinks of that. Like that might have been a relief for you to know Back then, when you were deciding that, hey, that's on the table. And so was the fourth option, where this or that or this. And now look at, you're in Las Vegas with this other guy you didn't even know existed when you were struggling over that decision. And now you get a cat and a dog and no kids. And that's always a great reminder is that my rule of thumb is life is always what's behind door number three. You could also call it the gray area because sometimes, you know, like if life is a game show and they're going, here's door number one and door number two, but there's nothing in the contract that says you only have to pick from door number one or door number two. You could say, I picked door number three and they might say, well, we don't have a door number three currently. Uh, We're building it. It might take a year. You know what I mean? This is a bad game. I don't know what game show that would be where they say door number one or door number two and someone says door number three and they say we're building it. It'll take a year. Does that contestant then come back a year later? This analogy is terrible, but I still think it's great advice that in general, sometimes the uncomfortable gray area is where we're supposed to be before we know what decision to make. And we don't need to trap ourselves into thinking door number one, door number two. So congratulations. Hope my life works out. (laughs) Busy giving everyone else all this advice. Okay, so I talked about my weight on this podcast and how, you know, I've been accused of being fat phobic and fat phobic doesn't even just mean that you don't want other people to be fat. It's a feeling in yourself if you want to lose weight or be thin or whatever that if you can't accept yourself at the weight you're at, if you've gained weight, that you are fat phobic. And it's it's an interesting discussion. I'm not I'm I do think fat phobia is real. I do also think in people that are anorexic, they actually literally clinically have a phobia of being fat. And I don't think you can fault someone who has a different mental disorder um, than, than, uh, well, not a different mental disorder, but has a mental disorder. You know, you can't act like it's, it's a, 
a choice or some kind of snobbery or some kind of way they're oppressing you. I mean, this person is suffering and possibly dying because of their phobia. You know, it's it's um, it's really nobody else's business, if that makes sense. But now fat phobic has become a term that can be used on anybody, not just someone who may be dying of anorexia because of that intense phobia. Um, and I get it. I get the cultural discussion around it. But in terms of when I've been accused of it, you know, I guess this is my attitude today, and and who knows, maybe in in a few years it'll change. I'm always willing to learn and grow, but it doesn't mean that I can immediately change what I truly believe for myself in that second, and I truly don't think I'm hurting anyone by doing this, and I, I have to say if I am, this is a terrible attitude to take. Uh, I, I don't believe it is, but I, I'm sure someone will think it's a terrible attitude to take. I'm just going to have to have you be hurt by listening to this podcast. And if it hurts you, then you have to make a decision to not listen. That sometimes in life, we're going to be triggered and hurt by things we hear and see. And we can't totally ask that the world change for us. And you can certainly put your voice into the mix and say, hey, when you focus on diet and diet culture, Here's how you're um, perpetuating this mythology that thin is better. And that I get. And I am not about doing that at all. But I I do want to talk about that I have gained weight in the past. I did at one point in my life gain 45, 50 pounds during a severe depression I had over 12 years ago. And I didn't like it. Now, whether or not I should say that or not say that, or if it hurts someone who's the weight that I was, I, I am really sorry. But it did affect my life in many, many ways. None of them are any of the ways you might think where Hollywood rejected me. I was on TV more than I've ever been in my life. I was working on Chelsea lately. It was not, it was fine. But uh, what I'm talking about is it just didn't feel right to me. I knew I was eating for stress reasons. I knew that I was coping with food and using it as a drug. And that to me is just not healthy. And I do prefer, you know, I was an underweight kid and it took me a long time to accept my body. And then, uh, so I have my own damage and body dysmorphia and issues. And I started talking about it on the podcast because it was just another level of being honest about who I am. And if the fact that I might have body dysmorphia, even when I seem thin to people, if that triggers you, then then we're not a match because I do think it's okay to talk about body dysmorphia. It is also an issue. Um, there are going to be triggers in the world. I'm, I'm triggered often, but I don't think it's up to me to tell the performer they can't talk about a certain thing. You know, I draw the line at like overt racism, sexism, Joe Rogan telling people not to get the vaccine. I mean, that's not just a disagreement. I don't think it's healthy to have that in the conversation. But if I'm talking about me and me only, and this podcast is for me to talk about me, and if anyone relates, I want them to know that there's this person they see on stage who seems confident, who's on TV, that like also might suffer something that they do. And that's what I'm trying to put out there. And if that's triggering, I listen to other podcasts. I watch TV shows where people are speaking their truth. And I do get triggered sometimes. You know, if it's a man who's not overtly sexist, but he's speaking his truth about the way he approaches relationships or women, I can get really triggered. I don't like it. But he has every right to say what he's saying. And I know that it might be really healing for other men to hear whatever. You know, um, I wish them to be able to move beyond these things. 
but it's not up to me when they do it and it's not up to me to tell them they can't talk about it. So when a bunch of women went on Facebook and did a Facebook show where they called me a white supremacist fat phobic, including white women saying that about me and that my podcast and my stand-up specials promote fat phobia and that I'm a terrible person, you know, to me that's just a bridge too far. And so anyway, I've, I've talked about this multiple times on the show. So two people wrote in about weight. Jen, big fan of the show. I wanted to say thanks for talking about your experience with gaining weight during the pandemic. I also gained 23 pounds in six months by using food, particularly baked goods, to self-soothe. Well, at least you had fun doing it. It'd be a bummer if you're like, I only ate lettuce and it sucked. Um, it's really validating and comforting to hear someone else talk about how, while anyone can be happy and healthy at any size, sometimes gaining weight just doesn't feel good, especially when it's a result and constant reminder of underlying mental health issues. Like, I don't eat a dozen cookies in one sitting because it brings me joy. I compulsively do it since it alleviates overwhelming feelings of fear, loneliness, and hopelessness. It doesn't make me happy. It just numbs me out and eventually I feel worse. Being thin is not the goal. Rather, the goal is to find a better way of handling these uncomfortable feelings. Eating as a coping mechanism is misguided, perpetually self-defeating, and ultimately ineffective. It's basically the same cycle as any other unproductive way people deal with their shit. Excessive drinking, irresponsible shopping sprees, zoning out in front of the TV for days on end. Yet, I do it anyway because it's so relieving in the moment. However, I am happy to say that with therapy, medication, and mindfulness, things are slowly improving. Speaking of food, I remember you talking about the woes of vegetarianism and pescatarianism at your show in Austin. The soaking of beans and how lentil soup sucks and something about carrots at a meditation retreat. I'm also a vegetarian and damn near fell out of my chair laughing about the fucking soaking. I'm so over it. Would love to hear more about your experiences, thoughts around eating this way and how and if other people in your life respond to it. Thanks, Mariah. Oh, my God. Okay, so first of all, yes, I used to have this bit in my stand-up that is not on any special. It's just on the road where I talked about this meditation re retreat that I went to, three-day silent retreat, and it was just like me and four other women, and we all shared the same kitchen, and it was amazing because you don't, like, you don't talk to each other, and it's not awkward. But everyone seemed to be a vegetarian, but they weren't my kind of vegetarian, which I, so we had all had to grocery shop and bring our food to the retreat, and I... I'm a fun vegetarian. I call myself a chips and salsa vegetarian. I'm not sitting here laboring over stews and soaking lentils. Whenever I go anywhere and there isn't something vegetarian on the menu, I'm fine. I, when I go to dinner, I don't care. Bring me to a steakhouse, no problem. I'll just eat bread and have wine. The point of going out to dinner is the bread and the wine. I'm, I've been very good as a disciple of Jesus. It seems that's all they ate at dinner. So you don't have to cater to me as a vegetarian. You don't have to keep talking to me. But I think they have lentil soup. I don't want lentil soup. I'm sure. I, just, I don't want to. And when people talk about it, I, do you make lentil soup at home? I do. I soak it. We soak for three days. And then when it's moldy, we take it. I can't just. I'll, shh. You, people who are vegetarians never talk about it. And vegetarians back me up. It's only people who eat meat. They're constantly focused on what we're eating, what we're not eating. Why are you a vegetarian? I just want to have some bread and wine. Can we just shut up and enjoy the dinner? Let's talk about something else. And then, of course, this whole notion that Joe Biden said he's taking away your hamburgers. You think that no one's taking away meat's never going anywhere. Meat is never going anywhere. I, again, I say this every episode. I don't say it till I get a fucking award for it. I stopped eating red meat when I was 13 years old because I read a book about the environment and how the way that cattle is raised is destroying our rainforest and it will 
have catastrophic effects within 30 years. We're here now. And everyone made fun of me when I became a vegetarian, except for my parents who are in no way some uber liberals. I said, I'm not eating meat anymore. I read that it's bad for the environment. And they didn't have a hysterical reaction and go, you're trying to take our meat away. They went, okay, just let me know what you want me to cook. And my mom said, can you have salad and mashed potatoes and something else? And I said, yep. And no one was like, what about protein? Spinach has protein, motherfuckers. You ever seen Popeye? Stop obsessing about protein. We get plenty. Anyway, so lately, no, nobody, because I haven't been around anybody. So I I have had the joy of nobody nosing into what I'm eating or, you know, oh, it's been such a relief because part of being on tour is going, I'm going to Chicago next week. And then somebody like, try the steak bombs. Just, just tweet at me that you're coming to the show. I don't need food recommendations. But anyway, I've just been enjoying the right wing, losing their shit that Joe Biden, first of all, there is not, the Green New Deal is not an effect. It's not a thing. It's a proposal from some politicians, and it talks about how meat produces greenhouse gases. Meatless Monday is a thing that the first, what's her name? Um, was it Eisenhower? No, it was, um, oh, I forget. I think it was Roosevelt's wife. Meatless Mondays. You don't need all that fucking meat. But the right wing took this uh, Green New Deal that's not even anything that, that we're doing and uh, had nothing to do with Biden. And, uh, oh, Biden wants to take your hamburgers away. I mean, uh, these people, and they, they do, but they manage to scare people. You know? Black people are, there's going to be more black people than white people by this year. And there's no, going to be no more meat. Do you know how, uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. You mean a bunch of vegetarians and, and, and people different than me are everywhere? Fantastic. That's not happening. You have white people, uh, we're not going to be a minority. We're going to be an equal. We're going to be a, it's going to be a true melting pot where we're not the majority of people. Relax. Relax. What, what do you want? One more TV show about fucking selling your uh, stuff at a pawn shop? Oh, no. We might have one less TV show about that if white people aren't the majority. <laughs> Calm the fuck down. Take your meat away. Oh, stop it. Grow up. Literally grow up. You're so afraid of everything. And then people go, oh, you sheep aren't wearing your masks. You're afraid. And then everyone goes, I'm not afraid. I'm wearing a mask to be patriotic. That's great. I'm not afraid to admit I'm fucking afraid. Yeah, I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to be on a ventilator dying alone. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't want to get just the the version of COVID where you get a cold, but you die of a heart attack for no reason a year later because you had some invisible long haul symptom. Yeah, I'm afraid. I put my mask on because I'm afraid. I'm not such a good person that I, if someone said it's patriotic to wear a mask, I'd be like, does it affect me at all? I'll do it for the patriotism, but to really get me into it, tell me how it affects me. You could die. Oh, I'm putting the mask on. Let's fucking be honest. We are afraid. Is that bad? Someone that's carrying a machine gun to Burger King? They're not afraid? You got it all wrong. You got it all wrong about who's afraid and who isn't. Okay, so here is another email on the weight discussion. Jen, I've been listening for a while to your lovely pod, and today is the day I must write to you to say that I completely understand where you are coming from about weight. Well, I think I do. I also don't enjoy performative exercise, but I do like fitting into my jeans. I enjoy how I feel when I wake up 
10 pounds less than I am at this moment. I enjoy feeling strong in my own skin, sleeping well, and wearing the clothing I already own. First, I prefer to not buy an entire wardrobe, thanks, if I've gained weight. Money, natural resources, and creating waste aside, I like my stuff. Second, I don't hate myself. I just know that this isn't the best I can feel in my own skin, so I prefer to get back to the place that I liked. I don't want to lose weight to be hot. I don't even use a scale, not that using one is necessarily bad, it's just not for me. I love the saying, it is a shame to grow old without witnessing the strength of which you are capable. I wish I knew who said it, but it could be a Applied to many areas of life. I choose to think of it as a motivator to keep my muscles because they will carry me through the rest of my kick-ass life. That's all. You're awesome. Carry on, Leanne. Thank you, Leanne. Now, I got an email from Tony. Tony had a suggestion that I think is fantastic because it is time for the shout-outs to the Patreon subscribers, but let's see what Tony said. He wrote me this email saying, uh, Jen, I'm just going to skip a few things here. Okay. Um, regarding uh, COVID here in San Antonio, this, this email is a few weeks old. So uh, we've been wearing masks indoors, then taking them off as soon as we get outdoors. It seems to work okay. We've had a few new infections for a while now. I've gone to eat and to other establishments many times under those rules, reduced capacity, blah, blah, blah. One day, I completely forgot to put on my mask as I walked in the supermarket, and a woman in the vegetable aisle made strong eye contact with me, which I mistook for smoldering, <laughs> like she was digging me. But then I thought, how could she know what I look like if she can only see my eyes? Oh, I didn't have my mask on. It was in my pocket. I put it on. The first time I heard your podcast, in the intro, you played Big Fun by Cool and the Gang. I liked that song combined with your positive energy and enthusiastic attitude so much. <laughs> Thanks for saying I have positive energy. That's why I think it might be cool, no pun intended, to play that song when you do your Patreon shoutouts. Please and thanks in advance in case you do it. I think that's great. Yeah, it's funny. I love the song Big Fun by Cool and the Gang. I've loved it since I was in high school. Um, I used to play it all the time. If, if I made you a mixtape, Big Fun would be on there. And uh, it, it, I think it's actually just, oh no, it is called Big Fun. But I use it sometimes uh, to advertise the podcast. Because I like the lyrics. So I'm going to say, let's have some fun. Whoa, whoa. I'm going to give a shout out. Hang on, let's just enjoy this. The word is out. It's all over town. Your work is done. Time for some fun. All right. The feeling is right. Yeah. Woo. Cool in the gang, spelled with a K. They're even laughing in the song. Cool in the gang, big fun. Everyone go buy that song right now. This is the shout outs. Thank you for being Patreon subscribers. Louise Power, you are big fun. Thank you. Stephanie Nix, doesn't get better than you, baby, and you know it. Thank you. Ow! 
Teresa Stratton. Let's burn up the night. Yeah, thank you, baby. Woo! John Garcia. Oh my God. I am so grateful to you, and you're an amazing artist. Ooh, ooh. Oh yeah, I, I recognize some of your names. I know some of you. Some of you have come to my shows. Sometimes my memory works real good. Sometimes I don't. Joshua Love, your work is done. Time to have fun. Thank you. Ooh, ooh. Chuck Penn, you are a unique delight on this goddamn planet. Thank you. Brian Merton, look at you. Look at you enjoying the things a gal says. You're a true player. Thank you. Ryan Peterson, what would we do without you? Has anyone told you today they appreciate you? Well, if not, I do. Thank you. Amy Sickles. What are you doing right now, girl? Are you thinking about the fact that I'm grateful for you? Because that's what I'm doing right now. Thinking about how grateful I am that you are so cool. Thank you. And Sarah Garris. Sarah Garris. You're a good person. I know about that one thing you did that one time, but that's okay. You're still a good person. Thank you. If you want one of these shout outs, you got to join my Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. The lowest you can be is five bucks a month and get these benefits. Oh, no, actually, I think $3 a month. But you don't get the video version or any bonuses at $3 a month. You're just giving me money for no reason. <laughs> but some people join at that level. They're like, I don't want any stuff. I just want to give you money. I guess you can. Anyway, thanks, everyone. Let's burn up the night. Right after this break, we're going to burn it up with COVID confessions. Oh. And we're back. All right. This is from Fred. Fred Fred is a delight. Fred's written in before. I haven't heard from Fred in a while. It's okay. That's okay. Listen, you got to make room for everybody on this podcast. Fred wrote me a rant a few weeks ago, and I hadn't read it yet. On air, I mean. And I feel even if rants, you know, I don't think this rant is not timely anymore, but even if even if Fred no longer feels this way, even if he's not as, you know, in the mood as he was when he wrote this rant, uh, I like to read people's rants that they write because you, you need to get it out. So I'm going to help Fred get it out. He got it out by writing to me, and now we're going to get it out to the world. Jen, proud no funner and Patreon subscriber here. I haven't written in a while, but your podcast has helped keep me sane in a world where people have decided that they don't believe COVID is serious or they don't care. I've had several family members contract it and a distant relative just died with it alone. A coworker contracted it in October and still has complications she'll likely have for the rest of her life. Heart problems, diminished taste and smell, and generalized fatigue. She's 25 years old. But do people give a single flying fuck? I tried being the COVID PSA bitch on Facebook, but I am tired of arguing with so-called patriots ad nauseum. Okay, Karen, your grandfather stormed the beach at Normandy, but you can't wear a mask to save grandma? 
Eat shit and get some E. coli to go with that COVID. If people are really committed to this lifestyle of indifference and idiocy, they should really go all the way with it. Stop wearing seatbelts. Drive blackout drunk in front of elementary schools and nursing homes. Have unprotected sex with at least 10 people a day. Pick fights with armed militants. Really dedicate to the cause. Anyway, as always, I wish you and all the other No Funners light, love, happiness, and safety. We'll all get through this together somehow. By the way, I have an I Meditated Motherfucker shirt on the way and I can't wait to wear it sincerest regards Fred thank you Fred oh by the way everybody in my merchandise store you can buy all kinds of things uh, quotes that I've said on this podcast like women are literally humans or quotes from my act like girls will be girls or I meditated today motherfucker or again things from this podcast like rich bitch and over 40 and you can buy all of this stuff in mugs and pins and stickers and magnets and pillows iPhone cases computer cases notebooks T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, onesies, tank tops, everything. And I donate 100% of the earnings that I get to keep through my merch store, Tee Public. I donate 100% of what I get to keep to food banks. In April, we gave to Memphis and Seattle. I'd love to get the numbers back up. We had a little dip in April. That's okay. May, I'm not sure what the food banks are yet. I will announce it um, next week, I guess. But just know that they will go to two food banks in America I usually kind of do like one red state, one blue state. Sometimes sometimes both red. It doesn't matter. But I distribute it evenly. We've done it um, for, for states all over this union. Okay. Yeah, the taste, the thing that I don't get is when people, the mild symptoms of COVID include losing your taste and smell. So when people go, oh, I have a good immune system. I, I might not get the vaccine or I might, you know, I'm I'll be fine if I get sick. I'll just get a cold. It's like. You might lose your taste and smell. Who the fuck? What kind of? I mean, I know people have, have, is it a nausea? I'm saying it wrong. I know people who don't have a sense of smell. I suppose if you never had one, then you don't know what you're missing. But if you had a a sense of taste and smell and you lose it, I'd be fucking so miserable. Can you imagine not being able to smell home-baked apple pie, taste your favorite dessert or or? coffee or glass of wine or favorite food or just smell the smells of cooking or the fall air i mean flowers scented candles if that matters at all to you don't get fucking covid because like most that is a symptom most people get and and it can be lifelong or at least six months six months i go insane hmm uh, this person is telling me that Gen Z is being weird about the vaccine. I didn't know that. Jen, I love the podcast, though. I'd have to say your recent episode is about being unhinged has never felt more relevant to me. Who knows what episode that was? I'm always unhinged, but it was probably a few weeks ago. Since the pandemic, I have found myself having a shorter attention span and tolerance towards people's absurd opposing views. For example, recently I had a conversation with a few people which evolved into their conspiracy theories about the COVID vaccine. The conversation was intolerable for me. I was talking with my friends who were saying how they felt skeptical about the vaccine and how it could affect their fertility with no scientific backing from them, obviously. As a young woman myself, I was not concerned about my fertility. So when I was offered the vaccine, I took it. And not just for my sake, but for others. 
I told them there wasn't much substance or evidence to their views, whereas they responded by bringing up something which happened in the 1950s and 60s. I found myself so frustrated and just left the conversation. I'm 23, and these are people who are around the same age. Not only was I fed up about people having these views, but also it doesn't give my generation a good rep. We already have a bad rep from self-obsessed to snowflakes to uneducated or whatever else we're labeled. This doesn't help the stereotype. I don't want my gen I don't want my generation to be called anti-vax or COVID spreaders, but here we are. I just don't have time for these ignorant views anymore. The word unhinged has never felt more accurate. Love the podcast and can't wait for the next episode. Lots of love. If you read this in an episode, please keep my identity anonymous. It is anonymous, my love. Now, let me tell you, I don't don't know if this makes you feel any better. I think I'm right on this. I truly don't believe that Gen Z is seen as the uh, generation that are anti-vaxxers or COVID spreaders. I want to say this is pretty well spread out over all generations, including my own beloved Gen X. Um, It is Gen Z. It is millennial. It is Gen X. It is boomer. Um, It it is not a generational thing. You might notice it more because you probably hang out more with people in your generation, but it is a type of person and it happens to the right and the left. And people either, you know, we've got people on the right who will say in the same breath that Trump is the reason we even have the vaccines and they know that Trump was vaccinated and then they will say they are not getting the vaccine because something, something, Biden, microchip, Bill Gates, I don't know, QAnon, Trump, right? So there's people who are QAnon and on the right wing side, there's people who are being influenced uh, in the wellness community. This is another big issue. You might be as liberal as pie. You might have a gay best friend and a black best friend, but you are in your little yoga community and the vaccine is blah, blah. You have misinformation about that. It's a type of person. And it doesn't mean you're not educated and it doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean that. It is someone who is hyper, hyper vigilant about a thing they don't need to be hyper vigilant about. They're not going to get taken. They're not going to get taken by the left wing who's telling them you need a vaccine. No, they're not going to be a liberal. They are a liberal. They're not going to be taken by big pharma and vaccine culture and blah, blah, blah. And they read a study and they take zinc and blah, blah, blah. It's not a generational thing. Trust me, we have it in every generation. So you can. Don't worry. I promise you that will not be Gen Z's legacy. It'll be the legacy of I think the more, if we're going to stereotype or generalize, um, the generalization will be Americans and not related to any particular generation. Also, I'd never heard that your your generation was considered um, self-obsessed or uneducated. Um, I got to tell you, we were too, Generation X. We were were called slackers and lazy and not educated and we don't. I mean, they say that about every fucking generation. That's what I've been screaming about for years when the millennials fell for it and started calling Gen X boomers. Some Gen Z did, too. I'm like, guys, you're falling into like the people that you hate. You're falling into what they do to young people and you're weirdly doing it to your Gen X brothers and sisters. Like, no, there's bad and good people in every generation. And every generation mostly has moved us forward in progress. And so the people that progressed us forward from every generation, you cannot dismiss that they didn't do enough. They did what they could in a time where it was almost impossible to do what they did. And now when you go, we can do more. That's right. Thanks to the template that the generations before you set, you're supposed to go do more. You're not supposed to go, why didn't they do more? 
and get mad at the good people from the generations above you. You're you're looking at it wrong because you're falling for some weird disinformation that's going around and you're acting just as bad as these old people that you keep calling boomers. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not talking about you, dear listener that wrote in. So I wouldn't worry too much about how how your generation will end up being seen, because by the time you're old enough to start thinking very seriously about your generation's legacy, everyone's going to be saying the same things about the generation under you. And then that generation's going to be busy telling you that you suck. And it's just sort of the cycle of life. And that's I used to talk about it then in my uh, act a lot that no one saw because it's not being made into a special. But um, don't worry, I'm going to make an album. What? Oh, more info on that coming another time. COVID vaccination. Now, this is a confession from someone who I got two emails from this man. I think it's a man. Uh, from Samarjeet. Sumarjeet. He uh, told me the way to pronounce his name is S-U-M-A-R-J-E-E-T. I don't know if I'm supposed to say Samar or Sumar, but I'm going to say Samarjeet because uh, it's spelled with an A-S-A-M. So Samarjeet sent me this and I'm cracking up because I sometimes you guys will send me two emails in a row and it cracks me up because I'm like, oh my God, this person is having a moment and I I love that they're in my audience. So Samarjeet, let's say, he says, Jen, I wrote this in my phone around New Year's but felt too shy to send it in. I thought it was a general fan appreciation. Nothing about you, but I think it's unintentionally about me obnoxiously going on vacation during one of the bigger COVID spikes in Massachusetts. So he then forwards the email that he wrote but didn't send around New Year's. He says, Jen, I just wanted to say I hate and am comforted by how often I'm reminded of your I meditate to be less worse bit from your Just Keep Living special. I'm in Hawaii for a week because after all my research, it seemed to be safe to do so. And selfishly, um, was the only remaining state where I didn't have to quarantine or retest to get back to Boston. For the first time, I got to walk in water where I could see everything, no matter how far I waded in, as I felt the sun in a cloudless sky hit me. I involuntarily had to smile, you know? I thought this was the perfect spot to practice some meditation and breathing exercises. It felt great, not necessarily better than other times, but still good. Then I walk back to the beach, and I don't even have to worry about drying off while I lay in the sun. Oh, I love that feeling. Uh, and of course, it's like 30 seconds of peaceful nothing before the people around me lead me to dumb thoughts. To my right is history of Hawaii. It's nice to be interested in things and make the effort to do any research on anything. But you are not a historian. So please shut up about the people of Hawaii on this hotel-owned part of a beach, you idiot. To my left, it's very crowded today. Stated multiple times, yeah, you are part of that crowd. Do you even get that? You know what would make this beach less crowded? People like you, with your giant chairs, not going to the beach. But we all want to be here, stupid. But yeah, if you managed to read any of this, just thank you for your work and hope there isn't a new 2021 pandemic-inducing virus and that the current one is eradicated so everyone can see your next Boston show. Happy New Year, and thanks again, Summer Jeet. Okay, so then, <laughs> then he writes back. I get another email, and he says, uh, I just listened to the latest episode, Trip, from last week. So just some details on taking the flights at all before getting vaccinated, why I felt safe to travel, and how I was almost definitely wrong. I read about all the air circulation, filtration on the planes, immediate thorough cleaning procedures before takeoff. Okay, good. 
everyone will have to wear a mask all the time? Sure. And I always did the auto shop towels with a filter pocket mask, etc. Everyone traveling to Hawaii has to get a specific approved negative test result within 72 hours of the flight. Upload it to Hawaii's COVID website. Great. What about connecting flights or people traveling to different destinations? Well, no idea. I did not read about any other conditions or precautions being taken at the airports themselves and did not see much of them. Like, I didn't see people sitting far apart or between seats at the gate, but people still sitting behind these people on the parallel road connected to the backs of those first seats. Does that make sense? Flights out. Super empty. Each person had a row to themselves, which is perfect for sleeping, even in economy. Flights in, just an empty seat between each person. Plenty of people who had to be reminded to keep their masks on. No idea if they had to be tested before flights back, as I didn't have to. No drinks. Dumb, super risky. And due to lack of sleep, it kind of eliminated any of the therapeutic benefits of the trip. Why did I go at all? Well, I'd been super isolated during most of the pandemic. I was going to lose paid time off hours if I didn't use them. That's bullshit of your company, by the way. And realized I no longer had a negative association with Hawaii. This email is already too long to explain. Still dumb and risky and just very lucky that I didn't catch anything. If you read this email, my apologies for the length. But thanks so much for taking the time to do so, Summer G. Ah, yeah. COVID confessions. I love it. I like that you looked back and you're like, that I didn't really need to do that. I mean, I would say... If, if I had read that email after New Year's, I would have been like, I'm very disappointed. But listen, we all we all got to forgive ourselves for things we did. I, I, I hope, I'm glad you didn't catch anything. I hope you didn't asymptomatically get it and spread it to others. It's just the thing is like, we just don't know. And you brought up a good point. It's like, look, great, the, the negative tests. But then like, yeah, what about other flights coming in? What about this? What about that? It's just, it's a whole pile of we don't know, right? Um, I'm glad you're okay. And next pandemic... You know, I know it sucks and we were all isolated, but I'm going to instruct you next pandemic. You go nowhere, young man or old man or her. I don't know how old you are. Now, someone uh, sent this to me, Languishing Jen. I just read this New York Times article and I thought of you. Um, it's what so many of us are going through. For some reason, I'm thrilled to have a word to describe this. We are languishing right now. It's just a comfort to know that it has a name and we're not alone. Thank you for providing many hours to help assuage my languishing as I chop vegetables, weed the garden, shovel the driveway. Thank you, Wendy. So if you'd ask me what the word languishing means, uh, it's embarrassing to admit as I'm a writer of many things, but I would have said, oh, languishing. It's like when you're laying in the hammock and you're just... I think I was confusing it with luxuriating. I think I thought those two words were interchangeable. So I was like, languishing, that's that's so nice. That's exactly what I'm doing. And then I read this article. I was like, oh, it's actually kind of a ne- has a negative implication. So I'll just read a couple things from this New York Times article. There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. The neglected middle child of mental health can dull your motivation and focus. And it may be the dominant emotion of 2021. This article is by Adam Grant. Oh, I'm reading his book. Um, I read his book. I, oh, I forget. It's about um, being willing to be wrong about things and how much you learn from it. I forget the name. 
Anyway, at first, I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Friends mentioned that they were having trouble concentrating. Colleagues reported that even with the vaccines on the horizon, they weren't excited about 2021. It's kind of how I feel. I'm just like, I'm doing it, but I'm not like, woo! A family member was staying up late to watch National Treasure again, even though she knows the movie by heart. And instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was laying there until 7, playing words with friends. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that. Languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. I, I literally don't think I ever realized that about this word. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. As scientists and physicians work to treat and cure the physical symptoms of long-haul COVID, many are struggling with the emotional long-haul of the pandemic. It hits some of us unprepared. In psychology, we think about mental health on a spectrum from depression to flourishing. Flourishing is the peak of well-being. You have a strong sense of meaning, mastery, and mattering to others. Depression is the valley of ill-being. You feel despondent, drained, and worthless. Languishing is right in the middle. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls your motivation, disrupts your uh, ability to focus, and triples the odds that you'll cut back on work. It appears to be more common than major depression, and in some ways, it may be a bigger risk factor for mental illness. The term was coined by a sociologist named Corey Keyes, who was struck that many people who weren't depressed also weren't thriving. That's exactly where I am. I'm actually fine with it, but in in the moments that it doesn't feel good, I just go, oh, it must be depression. It must be on the spectrum of depression. It's not. I'm languishing. I'm just not at the height of my well-being. His research suggests that the people most likely to experience major depression and anxiety disorders in the next decade are not the ones with symptoms today. The people who are languishing right now are the ones that will have the symptoms later. So there you go. You can read this article. uh, Just uh, Google languishing and NewYorkTimes.com and Adam Grant and you can read the rest of it. But I learned a new word today and I feel like a dumb fuck for not knowing it sooner. When we come back, Ace of Base were Nazis. Remember I talked about Ace of Base on an on a episode a few weeks ago? They're Nazis. I'm going to give advice on how to make friends. Somebody wanted to know how to make friends. And then we'll wrap everything up. It's an extra long episode this week. So we'll be right back. Okay, Jen, I just discovered your podcast and I love it. Thank you. This is from John. He said, I confess, I've always liked that one Ace of Bass song. I saw the sign. Remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but I, I was talking about how that was my niece's favorite song, and I was worried because I was like, it's bad music. Um, I came across this a while ago, crazy, wondering if you already came across it or if other listeners already sent it along. They didn't. They didn't. Um, so let's just get into this really quick. So see, my my instinct that nobody should listen to Ace of Bass was right Uh so before he founded Ace of Base, Ulf Ekberg was also a neo-Nazi skinhead. Did Ekberg use Ace of Base's success as an opportunity to erase his neo-Nazi past and rise to a position of geopolitical influence? You guys can read the whole article on Vice.com. It's actually from April 24th, 2013. I won't read the whole thing, but basically, 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 
Ulf Ekberg, a founding member of Ace of Base, and there's a picture of him doing the Nazi salute, uh, started his career as a neo-Nazi skinhead. Oh, isn't that nice? Not only that, he created a platform for his ideals through his Nazi punk band called Commit Suicide, spelled with two S's, which sang songs with explicit racist lyrics. Uh... Men in white hoods march down the road. I don't. I can't read the rest. It's offensive. In addition to performing with Commit Suicide, Ekberg was also a member of the Sweden Democrats, a political party that has publicly rejected any ties to neo-Nazism. But this is interesting considering the fact that the group Sweden Democrats was founded by Nazis and active members still maintain connections with contemporary hate groups. For example, Anders Klarström, the former head of the Sweden Democrats. Funny enough, Klarström was also a member of Commit Suicide with Ekberg. The band disbanded in 1986. Klarström was convicted of illegal firearms possession, as well as sending death threats to a Jewish theater director and entertainer who was publicly outspoken against racism and neo-Nazism. I mean, I can't even read the words on this page. It is so disturbing. In 1998, a small Swedish record label called Flashback Records released Oof Was a Nazi, a limited edition collection of Ekberg's output with commit suicide. Okay, so basically, look, the founder of Ace of Base, he, he got into Ace of Base in August of 1990 when a musician was hours from playing a show with his band. Uh, at the last minute, um, their bass player, this band's bass player, decided to ditch the show to go watch the Rolling Stones on the other side of town. And so this Eckberg Nazi was asked to fill in. A few weeks later, they dubbed their all-new lineup Ace of Bass. And the rest is history with uh, hits like All She Wants. And the sign sold 23 million copies. The group became one of the decade's most beloved pop acts. It's unclear whether or not uh, Ace of Bass knew about this guy's previous dalliances with neo-Nazism when they asked him to join. For some reason, it's really not spoken about today. So when you tell your friends this stuff, you can expect some jaws hitting the floor. Uh, so there you go. I'm never surprised when you're like someone Swedish is a Nazi. No offense, my Swedes, but I spent time in Sweden and I got like not my favorite vibe. It just, it's like very, I mean, I know it just, I felt not like it felt, I don't know how to explain it. Like, it just felt a little, I was like, I can see Nazis here. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I see them in California, so, you know. So somebody wrote to me they wanted uh, to make new friends. And they didn't know how. They wanted my advice, but I didn't have any experience with what they were talking about, which is making new friends, living in a red state, blah, blah. I've always been lucky enough to... Um, my job is usually my community, blah, blah. So somebody else wrote in and said, Jen, I wanted to write to give advice for the other fan who's looking for ways to make some new friends. I fully understand how lame this sounds, but stick with me. There really is a friend dating app. Bumble has a version of their app called Bumble BFF. It's maybe not for everyone, but it worked for me a couple of years ago to meet someone I now consider a pretty close friend who was also new to the city. I've moved around a bit in my life, so my friends are scattered around Ontario, and I tend to work with people much older than me or in very different stages of life. I'm also very introverted and not one to strike up a conversation with a stranger when I'm out. I knew I needed to meet new people when I realized I didn't have a local friend I could just go out for coffee with or do something spontaneous with without having to make travel plans. And my one local friend who I've known for so long has two kids, so planning with her can be a headache. So I suggest that your listener check out Bumble BFF and make a profile. 
I had decent luck in a small region in Canada, so I bet it will be even better in the U.S. Not an ad, but I did first hear about this on a podcast. And just like I did when I had an online dating profile and met my husband, don't get be don't be afraid to get very specific about what you like or don't like and what kind of things you might want to do with these new friends. COVID safely, of course. Hope this helps. Amanda from Ontario, where we are watching America regarding the vaccine with jealousy right now. We haven't been jealous of America in a while. Amanda, thanks, Amanda. Yeah, I hope you guys get it together. Oof. Other new friend advice. Um, Jen, I use she, her pronouns, but please don't mention my name or email on the pod. Never, 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 never going to mention anyone's email. I won't mention your name either. But I am not great at making friends, but I do know quite a bit about finding like-minded people in a red state. She says in parentheses, I hate using that phrase, though. First, I think it's important to know that people are complex and that there are exceptions to the rule everywhere, even when it doesn't feel like it. Coastal elites, joking, would be surprised to know there are really great, liberal-minded, reasonable, artistic, environmentalist, cool, unhateful communities in several parts of my state, Nebraska. But yes, on the highway, you will see lots of Trump flags. And yes, on the electoral map, you will see red. Oh, I find the same thing. My best shows are in red states. And it's not because I'm winning over MAGA by the mile. It's that... The people coming out are totally, like you said, artistic, reasonable, environmentalist, cool, unhateful. Yeah, it's amazing. So nobody be afraid of America. It sounds lame, but Facebook groups, not pages, are really great for finding local and regional people with your interests. It is something that no other social media site has managed to replace yet. One great example here is a group called Hike Omaha, where people share hiking pictures and tips. I see people who are new to the area arranging to meet and hike with others all the time. People are definitely making friends on there. I actually also, that reminds me, there's um, Airbnb experience, so you can put in um, your town or your city And there's like a tour guide who takes you through an experience. So uh, if you're not going to use their Airbnb home, they might be like, I give tours of waterfalls. And and so you might be able to meet friends that way. Um, Anyway, uh, this just Jen jumping in. Anyway, back to the email. In regular times, um, you can find ways to participate in things that are not explicitly political, but are often associated with non-conservative things like community gardens, neighborhood cleanups, openings at art galleries. People in these settings are often eager to mingle and share. And finally, when you do meet someone you like, be honest. If you mention, I'm recently separated and looking to make new friends, you may be more likely to exchange phone numbers or get invited to a dinner or other upcoming event where that person's other friends and peers will be. You will find your people. They are out there. I would like to ask the person that originally wrote the email about making friends, could they email me back and let me know how they're doing? Are you making friends out there? I seem fun at gmail.com. Uh, This is from last week. I talked about when people are like, oh, you're just a Hollywood actress and your life is great. This woman wrote, Jen, I relate so hard to what you were saying about strangers assuming you're a fancy Hollywood actress, but in a slightly different way. I play in a band that pre-pandemic toured a lot. We've graduated from losing money on tour to making just enough money to break even after expenses. Congratulations. That is a big deal. I'm, I'm not kidding. Whenever I'm introduced to someone outside of the industry and it's the worst with extended family, the person always goes, oh, that must be so much fun traveling around the country with your friends all the time. What a great experience for you. And every time I have to resist the urge to scream at them, you try living in a van with four other women for weeks on end and see how fun that is. We sleep on the floor or in the van almost every night. Is that fun for you to wake up to pee, crawl over bench seats and squat outside? Do you enjoy getting stuck in party jail when it's 4 a.m. on a Tuesday and your host wants to keep doing coke and talking about his brilliant chili? 
family cart business plan? Do you like visiting these beautiful places but only seeing inside the same pea-covered punk venue over and over? It's not a vacation. It's a job. Granted, it's a job I love despite these complaints, but it's hard, especially as a sober introvert in these crowded bar-type situations. You know that dance we have to play, especially with drunk men trying to be polite while they engage in these microaggressive behaviors that we can't call out directly. We have to remain polite for safety to try to maintain a good reputation of being friendly to fans and because we need their money to stay on the road. And then you get home and you have to defend yourself to these normies who think your life is one big party. It's really irritating when people assume that your years of hard work and sacrifice amount to a leisurely life. Perhaps they're just jealous. And their comparatively easy 9-to-5 desktop job doesn't bring any fulfillment. Anyway, end rant. Thanks, as always. I don't know. Look, I always say it this way. When you tell people that touring is fun, you're not understanding. You'll be like if I said to you that your commute to the job you love is the best part of your job. It's not. The only thing we like about it, you go, why you put up with all that? Because we love being on stage. If we could just be beamed to the stage in each city, we would. Nobody likes the travel part. It's not fun. It's not exciting. You're not traveling for fun. It's not a vacation. So no, it's not fun. And the last thing you want to do when you have to save your energy for a big performance that night and you just have to have your wits about you and you might have other jobs that you also do that you need to do remotely via your computer, you don't want to go sightseeing in that town. It's not what the trip is for. You're you're just in a totally different mind space, you know? Even when I watch documentaries like Lady Gaga on a private jet with her own chiropractor, I'm like, that looks miserable. You know, it's just like the getting to and the going. It's not why people do it. It's the stage part. It's the stage part. That's how much people love what they do because it's worth the other hell. And that's why I had a reckoning this past year, which was 80% of your job as a touring comedian has nothing to do with the actual comedy part. You have to love the 20% so much that the 80% is just something you mildly, you know, complain about or trade tips with with other comedian friends. But if you don't love the 20% so much, it's going to be really unappealing. And I realized I don't right now anymore, could change, but right now, I can't base it on, I'm not one of those people, oh, I'll keep this box in case I use it in two years. Nope, I don't need it, I throw it out. If I need it, I get a new box. I'm the same way with career. If I don't feel like doing something, I obey that because it's never just a phase that lasts two weeks and then I'm like, shit, what did I not book a tour this year for? I'm into year two now of not touring and I don't miss it because I don't miss the other 80%, which was, it was just bothering me more and more. I'm not even curious to know why, just, Okay, great. I'll do something else. I know. I, I, of course, I'm going to do shows again here and there, but but not so much that it feels like it's 80% of the other stuff. Does that make sense? So, again, refrain in any industry. Refrain from telling people what you think their job is. It's so annoying. I have to. What is? I don't have to. Why is this podcast always about me telling you guys how to behave? Okay, this is a really long episode. We are in the final moments of it. It might be almost an hour and 45 this week. Uh, 
Uh oh. Oh, here's Jen. Do you like fan mail? Hello, Jen. I finally wrote Fran Lebowitz a fan letter. You were mentioned in the first paragraph. I described you as a comedian and writer. Oh, Lord. <laughs> she doesn't need to know about my writing. I described your podcast and how you are also a fan of hers. And I mentioned her Netflix show, Pretend It's a City. And then I went on for three pages. I did three drafts and then I finally wrote it. I used very expensive, gorgeous paper and perfect handwriting with a blue Bic crystal pen. I mailed it today. I asked her interview questions in a fantasy interview that I might have with her. I believe in writing fan mail. I think more people should write letters. I have written letters to people over the ages, including Kirsten Dunst, Tatum O'Neill, and Holland Taylor, with nice paper and nice handwriting. I think it's an art form. It's like a gift. Usually I just look up their publicist, and that's where I write the letter. I feel more familiarity with you, celebrity dynamic-wise, than the others I listed. Maybe you would like actual fan mail, but if people wrote you fan mail, would you think it's weird? You're fan Jill. Jill, I do agree with you that writing fan mail is uh, an art form and that writing letters is an art form. Um, I didn't even... I mean, I've written fan letters as well. Uh, I don't think it's weird to get it, but as much as I appreciate the doing of it and, and in general fan mail, I actually appreciate receiving it less, if that makes sense. It, I think it's one of those things um, for me that's complicated because... Some people do reach out and write actual fan mail and they send it to my manager's office. And, you know, it doesn't get to me necessarily in a timely manner because they save it all. And if I drop by the office, they'll hand me a stack of things. And yeah, I get stuff all the time and haven't in COVID because haven't, they haven't been in the office. And, and so um, I don't always love it, to be honest. Sometimes after shows, when I can see the person, um, they might hand me a handwritten card saying something that they were too shy to say to my face. Um, and if it's within a normal boundary, like, hey, I was uh, depressed and you helped me, or I'm gay and you gave me the courage to come out of the closet by, I don't know, being an ally, or, you know, I just think you're really funny and I hope I'm a comedian someday. So stuff like that, not not love letters. I want to marry you and eat your skin, not that. But but if it's if it's a normal topic and, and people hand me a card, I'm really touched. And I, I really enjoy it when I'm on the road, especially because it's it's hard to be on the road and, and there's as much people that hate you as love you. And so it's always nice to be back in the hotel room and to uh, count your merchandise money and open up these cards. It's really nice. Now, I appreciate it less when I'm not on the road, I'm going to be honest. Um, if I go to my manager's office and pick up a, a bunch of letters, it's like now I've got stuff in my house. Do I keep them? And then I never know who's totally insane and who's not. You know, I don't know who wants to wear my skin and who just likes to write with a nice pen. And so I don't always get the best vibe when I get a fan mail, even if it doesn't say anything creepy, like it does weird me out. I know that's strange. Um, I think it's because it's not really the norm anymore. And so there's people who write fan mail because they're a little off and people who write it because they think it's an art form. And I don't know which is which, even if you address it with, I think this is an art form, but it's easier if I've seen your face and we met at my meet and greets and then you hand me something. Um, but I do think in general, I agree with you. I think fan fan mail is a lost art, but I, I prefer these days emails. I can incorporate them in my show and, and all that. I just, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to after a while appreciate it, you know, um, and certainly, like, I don't have, like, a storage space for, like, when people send me gifts and stuff. So I'm always just like, everyone save your postage, save your, save, save it, save it, save it. Um, Jen, gay male fan here checking in. I think there are more of us than you realize. This letter is late. Thank God it's not a period. And in regards to the recent tampon episode. So, yeah, maybe three, four episodes ago, I talked about how 
Prince Charles uh, told his uh, lover Camilla that he wanted to be her tampon. That made me think of Joan Rivers' tampon joke. By the way, Joan Rivers became very good friends with Prince Charles in real life. Isn't that weird? Uh, I'm paraphrasing from memory, but it went something like this. Men aren't interested in you when you stop having your period. When I go to a party, I bring tampons in my purse and I'll drop them on the floor and say in a loud voice, oh no, I dropped my tampon. I'm so embarrassed. I have my friend. The first time I heard her say that joke was on The View in 2007 or 2008, and it was a revelation. Until that time, I had no idea Joan Rivers was a comic. Growing up, my parents didn't watch Johnny Carson, and I only knew Joan Rivers from Captain Kangaroo, QVC, and Fashion Police. She was always on TV, but I hadn't been exposed to her comedy until that point. It was like finding out a friend you'd always known could secretly tap dance. That started my new grown-up appreciation and love of Joan Rivers. It might have been that same View appearance where appearance appearance where she made a joke about how she wished she had a gay son because who else would call you at three in the morning to tell you that mrs miniver was on tv i miss joan rivers her howard stern appearances were so good and i often wonder what she'd be saying about the state of the world today i think she'd tell us to all grow up and shut the fuck up and get vaccinated i don't know i don't always know i i love her and i loved her she was so important to me in in my years as a wannabe comedian all the way up to established comedian i i wish she were alive and i wish she had lived to a hundred and and died on stage or however she wanted but i have zero faith that she would be on our side anymore and i think there's a giant risk that she may have destroyed her legacy uh had she if she were here right now i really do i i'm not sure if i think she would be on our side with things. Um, people are complicated and they have a lot of other reasons for pushing back against some progress. And I think she may have misconstrued um, where she's still here. I think she'd be misconstruing uh, some of the new ways that people are trying to be kind to others. I think she would think of it as anti-free speech. I think she's friends with the Trumps. I, I don't know. Truly don't know. I don't think she'd be an idiot about vaccines because she really loves and respects doctors and her father was a doctor, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she'd say about everything else is what I'm saying. I think she probably would have believed that Joe Biden had Alzheimer's. I, I think I think she would have been an easy mark for some of the conspiracy stuff. Anyway, this guy continues. Jen, speaking of gay things, one of my favorite movies is all about Eve. And you've mentioned on the podcast that you were friends with Maria Bamford. And I think if you and Maria did some kind of comedy All About Eve reboot, I'd go to gay heaven. Love the podcast. Well, I would not be interested in a comedy version of All About Eve. I'd, I'd rather just do it straight up. Just do a remake. It's not going to happen. But so you'll have to go to gay heaven another way. Uh, another gay male fan is what I titled this email. Jen, blah, blah, blah. Long time, first time, blah, blah. In a period of my life that was fairly depressing, I absolutely consumed nearly all of Netflix's stand-up library. Unless it was straight white male, I skipped nearly all of them. And when I watched I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine, that's my special, everybody, I died about 10 times. From the frozen yogurt girl to the lemons and limes guy to the see something, say something to the marry your cat, I'm fine with that too, you psycho. Your comedy was refreshing, real, and powerful. I've probably watched it um, 10 times. And God bless gay guys. Those are my favorite bits in the, in the show. And that's what you like. Straight guys, focus on the fact that I said I had an affair with a younger drummer 
and they missed the entire part of the bit that was, I did not like it, and I am not a whore, and they direct message me, I'm a drummer. I'm like, you're an idiot. Bye. Okay. So again, thank you men who don't want to date women. Then he lists other female comics he likes, and in the name of competition, I ain't listing them. (laughs) Uh, But all of you rallied around me and helped me love my depression and get to the joy on the other side of it. Good. I love that. Your stream of consciousness style on the podcast is a welcome, bright spot in an otherwise exhausting landscape of overproduced and manicured content that is today's podcast market. I love the voice you do of the overconcerned, very anxious Midwestern lady. I hope you know the one. I don't know if I'm trying to do anyone from the Midwest. Is it the one that's like this? Or maybe it's the live, laugh, love lady. None of them are Midwestern. Uh, they're just a people, a person. Finally, I have so much respect for the way you've pivoted your business model and have committed to COVID safety. Thank you. Some of the comedians you listed have not. That's why I didn't say their name. <laughs> Even in my moments of weariness dealing with the pandemic, knowing that there is someone else out there who has decided to make sacrifices and do the right thing has helped me when I'm tempted to throw my mask off like a graduation cap and tassel and remember that my minor inconvenience is potentially saving a life. So speaking for a moment on behalf of many brown anxious gays with a sarcastic and exhausted point of view who just wants fitness instructors to not make horrible jokes and Apple stores to have COVID rules that make logical sense and would blow duvet covers off the face of the planet if I could, I say to you, slay queen, and I wish you so much momentum, success, and good health. If anyone there is, any straight men out there are curious as to why straight women prefer to hear from gay men (laughs) over you. Do you hear it now? I hope one day our flying cars can meet 10 feet off the ground and I can throw you a socially distant, hey, be oh so very well. P.S. If you watch Drag Race, let us know who your fave queen is and also your favorite lip sync. You will quickly move up the ranks of gay royalty and ascend to your position on the court that you rightly deserve. Sorry this was so long, but I'm fully a crazy person and Logan inspired me. I, Logan was another gay man who wrote in Nathan. Nathan, I don't watch Drag Race. I don't not watch it. I've watched it. I just... Listen, I love drag queens. I love the whole thing. I promise you, it was like a big part of my life in my early 20s. It was like the only bars I went to. It was like gay and trans and cross-dressing and this and all the things. But I just, I'm not a reality show competition type person, like no matter what it is. And I I know it's good. I just don't, I'm not like, oh my God, I'm going to watch this competition. I would rather just go watch a live drag show. Um, so, but I am friends with some of the people from, from uh drag waste waste um do I, do I, I love drag waste um if it makes you uh feel any better uh but i guess i'm not going to ascend to my throne see this is ugh, i i can't talk about drag race like the way that other straight women can and so uh, i'll forever just be forgotten by <laughs> the gays uh the gay men uh fans uh, sending photos of how they listen. This is uh, from Tony Jen. I was going to send a quick snapshot from me watching a video uh, of you doing your Patreon so you can see how one of your Patreons does it. About to do some graphic design work and uh, I figured I'd send... Uh, okay, so anyway, sorry. Uh, I'm in my garage. When I turned on the light, it looks like some ghosts or dust flew by the screen. See, weird shit like that happens to me too. Okay, so... I fuck I forgot to save your name this one fan uh sent in a video of himself doing his work with the video of my patreon version of the show in the background uh now you guys don't need to send me videos but if anyone wants to send an email telling me what they do when they listen to my podcast 
I would love it. It's my favorite thing to know. You can just send one sentence. I listen to your podcast while I'm whatever, gardening. Uh, Iseemfun at gmail.com. And we have one email left. Jen, I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning. I'm a dog person, and they've always needed to go for walks. It's my version of doing dishes and laundry. And no, I would never tell you that my dog isn't like others and is friendly. I would prefer my dog only like me and leave you and everyone else alone, especially while I'm out walking and wearing huge noise-canceling headphones and listening to your podcast seemingly like I'm having a conversation with no one. I also have no restaurant recommendations for you. Up until this past November 2020, I lived just outside of and worked in, drumroll, blank Massachusetts. She says my hometown. Now, I know you guys can figure out what my hometown is. I just don't feel like publicizing it if I don't have to because I don't be harassing anyone that I'm related to. I left my job, which required me to work in person in public, including being in a hospital room with a COVID patient doing an interview during the height of the pandemic, among other irresponsible things, and moved to the Vermont-New York border. Long story, but if you have the time, so do I. My apologies for seeming to be rambling, but the main reason for my email is that I haven't subscribed to your Patreon, and that is because of our money. My boyfriend and I are on a budget, and added podcasts haven't made the cut just yet. Any and every time you were in Boston, I was there. You threw a candy cane at me once and yelled at your father after telling him to stop bothering your fans while he and I were chatting after you opened for Chelsea. (laughs) I just saw through old social media and listened to your podcast today that you were back in Massachusetts visiting your family, and I'm upset that I don't get the bonus of talking with your mother and father and sisters. And Mr. Mittens, if he has the time. Now, I will correct everybody. Mr. Mittens is a fake cat that I made up that belongs to a fake woman named Cindy. She is not based on me or anyone in my family. I just, the name Mittens comes to mind because Mittens was the name of my childhood cat and Mittens is the name of my sister's current girl cat. There is no cat in my life, nor has there ever been named Mr. Mittens. Just a fake name for a bit because I thought the alliteration sounded funny. Anyway, okay, not yelling at you. Just people are always like, is that Mr. Mittens? I'm like, there is no Mr. Mittens. Um, Your mother's accent feels like home to me. I can't hear it enough. I say this knowing... I could call 94% of my friends and hear the same accent, but it isn't the same. Continuing to ramble because I just got off Zoom drinks with my friends and finally had the courage to write in and say hello. I'm now fully vaxxed and my friends are halfway there. In about a month, we'll be able to hug and see each other in person after more than a year of being apart. And maybe your mention of being in Massachusetts and seeing your family really hit home after tonight. Be safe. Stay well. Keep on podcasting. Christine. Christine, thank you. You don't have to join the Patreon. You don't have to apologize for it. When it's in your budget, we'll be here for you. And if anyone who joins, just know patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. If you join at the $5 level, you get the last entire year's worth of bonuses. It doesn't just start from where you are. So when you join, you got a lot to go through. Um, I am just grateful that any of you even subscribe and listen. That helps a lot. I'm not kidding. I mean, honestly, like, you know, you got a million subscribers, people are paying you six figures for ads. I don't have a million subscribers, but I'm just saying like every, every angle helps. And I love you all for being here. Now, uh, I think I've mentioned everything that I need to mention. 
Everything will be in the link in the show notes. If you want to know how to get an anxiety packet from me for free, if you want to buy my albums, if you want to buy my books, if you want to join the Patreon, if you want to buy merchandise, it's all in one link and it will be in the show notes wherever you listen to this podcast. And the conversation is going to continue for $5 level a month subscribers and up over at Patreon where there is going to be right after this episode drops on Wednesday, May 5th, there is going to be a 20-minute bonus episode uh, for the $5 and up subscribers, audio-only episode where I talk about Demi Lovato putting a frozen yogurt shop in Los Angeles on blast for having sugar-free and diet flavors. You will get to know my point of view on that. Head over to patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. And until next week, have fun. Have fun.